There's this famous opening line of Scripture. It's, it's Genesis 1-1, and you would probably all recognize it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's so much packed into that. It, it's saying that everything that is, everything that ever was, everything that ever will be is made by God. Every single thing. There's nothing you've ever seen that wasn't made by him. There's nothing you will ever see that wasn't made by him. Every single thing in the cosmos is made by him. You were made by him. And then in the New Testament, we get this greater clarity about how God actually did this creating. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, you would tend to think, well, it was, it was God the Father doing all this. And maybe this sense of God the Spirit was there. But in Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16, it gives this much deeper perspective, very intimate perspective. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, through Jesus, and for him, for Jesus. And so in the creation process, what God began to create with the Genesis 1-1, Jesus was the creator there with God the Father. In fact, God the Father was doing all of it through him. And so we can, we can look at Jesus as also as, as the creative being as well. Everything ever created has been created by him as well as God the Father. So in this series, we're focusing on, on Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And, and all of this series that we're in the middle of is inspired by this song, Boldly I Approach, that has these two lines that says, Behold the bright and risen sun. In other words, look really carefully at this Jesus who has risen from the dead because there's more beauty in him than this world has ever known. If we look at him, if we really see him, we'll see more beauty in him than this world has ever collectively known. And so we've, we've spent some weeks now, we began by talking about that he is the one that is perfectly righteous. He's the one that is, has never done anything immoral. Every single thing he's done has been right and righteous and moral. Every single thing. Everything he will always do. Everything he will do to interact with you will always be righteous and right and moral. We talked about him being of infinite, unconditional love. And we said what that spells out to is that, that he, he always wants and does what's best for you. Always, always. You can count on that. Everything he does for you is always what's best for you. We talked about him then having infinite power, so all power is his. We talked about him having uh, infinite knowledge and the, and the wisdom to know what to do with that knowledge. He knows everything, everything, everything. Last week, we talked about him being full of grace, meaning that he gives us the good things we don't deserve. He gives us so many good things we don't deserve. And today, we, we want to look at him um, and his creativity and him in his creator role. So I want to look just very briefly at the scope of creation because I think probably you're like me. I think you tend to think about creation. You look at the dirt beneath your feet or the concrete more likely beneath your feet. You think this is creation and you probably take note of the sun because you want to know if it's going to shine today or not, and you notice that. But if you're like me, you don't think much beyond that about creation. And so I want to take a moment and just remind you of something you've probably heard and maybe you already know. But, but this creation that we tend to focus on of earth and sun, this sun, as you've often heard, it's, it's one of 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. 
the galaxy we're in, there, there are another 100 billion just like our sun, and our sun isn't particularly impressive compared to the bulk of them. It's just another, just another star. There are 100 billion more in our galaxy that God created. And if that isn't enough, now we understand that in the observable universe, which that limits it, in the, in the observable universe, there are 100 billion galaxies. Okay, the Milky Way, ours, is just one. There are, there are 100 billion more galaxies, and the Milky Way isn't particularly impressive. It's just kind of a run-of-the-mill galaxy. And so you start doing the math, and this is in the observable universe. The more we begin to learn about the universe and its scope, the more we realize we don't know. Now there's this, there's this very important uh, reality called black holes, and, and those weren't even discovered until 1971. A bunch of us here in this room were living in the time that those were even discovered, and that's so to us, it's this brand new discovery, and, and it's a massive piece of this creation we didn't even know about. And so there's this magnitude that is jaw-dropping, and we, we can't even begin to fathom the magnitude of his creation in this universe. We can't even begin to touch upon that. But, but I want to take it from that viewpoint of just of, of understanding there's so much more out there, like so much more creativity that we don't even begin to fathom. I want to bring it down to this planet, and not just the planet, I want to bring it down to life on this planet. In, in our backyard, um, there, there are 21, no, there are 24 species of plants in the backyard that we have. Uh, so there are a couple of trees, and there's St. Augustine grass, and then there are a bunch of plants that Marie has around the backyard. And the 24 isn't counting the few species of weeds that I'm sure are mixed in there as well. But these are 24 things we want in the backyard. And, and there's hardly a day that passes, but what I, don't, I don't pause at that backyard. If the day's been crazy busy or the weather's horribly bad, I'll, I'll open the blinds in this bay window. And I'll pause and I'll look out and wonder at, at, at this, it's like this Garden of Eden there. And if I have a little more time, if the weather's pretty, I'll, I'll go out and I'll sit on the patio for a little while and, and be in awe at these 24 species of plants in our backyard. But the reality is there are 400,000 species of plants. I'm, I'm blown away. I'm drawn near to the creator when I see 24 of them. But there are another 400,000 of them. That are there, and I'll show you a couple that we don't have in our backyard. This is a lupin flower, but look at the creativity behind that. The, the beauty, the symmetry, the color, the arrangement of that, uh, that's one of his 400,000 species he's created. Wow, there's a lag time in there. Watch my hand and watch, look at that. This isn't really me up here, it's a puppet. They filmed this, you know, and then they did this caricature and everything. What is my mouth doing when I'm talking? <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> okay. I lost track of where I was. We're talking about the, the 400,000 plant species, aren't we? There's, there's this species called the spreading oak, and I've got a picture of that for you. And, and the canopy span has been measured as high as, as 165 feet. That is over half a football field. I mean, 400,000 species of plants alone. And I don't even, I, I tend not to be blown away by plants, and yet they grab me about the wonder of God and his creativity and what he's given us here. The, the animal kingdom, we've identified one and a half million species of animals so far. We're discovering more. Uh, it's probably not a stretch to say every single day. 
There are more species being discovered. One and a half million of those, and they, they cover the waterfront. I've got a picture of a Bengal tiger, and so there's some of this great majesty and power. Have a picture of a rabbit. So there's some that we would say, hey, they're just cute. Got a picture of a blobfish, which we would say are hilarious. That's, that's a real animal. Off the coast of Australia and, and uh, Tasmania, that's, that's part of God's creation. He, didn't he have fun when he was you know, doing that? There are one and a half million of these that are around. My, my attention has been drawn uh, because of who I'm married to, to birds for almost 40 years now, because my wife Marie is in love with birds. Uh, and me too, I think. But I know she's in love with birds. And so, so she, has, she keeps a life list, as bird watchers do, and she has 440 birds on her life list. Now, it's more than I told you last time, 440 of those. And she has this ruby-throated hummingbird that I'll show you. And you look at that, and its wingspan is only three and a half to four inches. It's only this big. She's seen those. There are whooping cranes that she's seen down at Aransas Pass, and their wingspan is not three and a half inches, but they're seven and a half feet. And that's just one more bird. Her favorite bird is this painted bunting, bunting. And it looks like God took a canvas of paint and took the brightest of colors and just threw them in these beautiful splotches, doesn't it? I mean, this, this stunning creation of birds. And so she's seen 440 species, but there are 10,000 species of birds. She's blown away. I'm blown away that she would actually have taken the time to see 440. I mean, the wonder of seeing 440 species there. Uh, but there are 10,000 of them, which says we have a long ways to go on her bird trips that she makes now. But i got to tell you guys, my life list has been stalled for a long time. So I'm just going to show you all the birds on my life list. So here's the first species that I have on my life list. That's one. And then here's the second species on my life list. And that's it. That's, it's, I've been stalled for a long, long time. That's all I've got. But there's this wonder of creation. And, and you look at those, and I, I see the beauty of the painted bunting or the regal majesty of the Bengal tiger. And I think, how could you do any better than, than that? And yet God says in Scripture, he says, the very crown of his creation is people. In the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. It is the only thing in creation that he says is made in his image. He's made some other things, and he, he loves them and takes great pride and joy in them. They give him great honor. But we're the only part of the creation that he says is made in his image. And you look through the creation story unfolding in Genesis 1, and at the end of every segment of his creation, it says that God would, would observe it, and then it would say that he says, it is good. He would look at it, and his comment was, it is good, it is good, it is good. But then he makes humankind the very last stage, and then he looks at the whole thing, and he says, it is very good. There's some wonder about this, and, and now I'm talking about you and me. We are the very crown of his creation. And, and then I'll take it a bit farther in James 1.18, and I'll, I'll elaborate a little more about this, but, but we're created in his image, um, and his image is perfect, but we all live on this planet, and we're all our sinners, so we've marred that image. And so in James 1.18, he's talking about when we begin to trust Jesus, and Jesus uh, cleans the slate of our sins. 
and restores us to this image of God once more. And so James is writing about that in James 1.18. It says he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, which is Jesus. And we out of all creation became his prized possession. Scripture is saying, I mean, the Holy Spirit's prompting this writing to say that you're made in the image of God. And of course, all of us are marred. But when we trust Jesus, he remakes us and, and we become his prized possession of everything, of all of creation, of all the entire span of the universe, we are his prized possession. And, and each person in, that, in, that, in the human race is, is a unique person. You know that, don't you? You know no one has fingerprints like yours. No one ever has, no one ever will. You know no one has DNA like yours. No one ever has, no one ever will. And, and it's not just, and this is really important to, to try to grasp, it's not just that God made Adam and Eve, and then he let uh, the genetic... Um, roll of the dice, take over, and here now, many, many eons later, uh, poof, this is just how you turned out. It's not that at all. There's this beautiful passage in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, that describes what really happened when you were first, when you first came to life in your mother's womb. The author is writing, saying, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you, you, Jesus, knit me together in my mother's womb. It means at conception, Jesus was there, and he was the designer on the spot at conception. He designed you exactly like he wanted you to be. He designed you at conception. And the writer is, was writing this about 3,000 years ago, and they didn't have as much science as we have now, and we, we don't have as much now as people will have down the road. But he's saying, your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. He didn't begin to know how marvelous it was. And what, what it meant when it says that the Creator was knitting him in his mother's womb fact, some fact for you. You have in your body, you have 100 trillion cells in your body. 100 trillion cells. That's a one with 14 zeros after it. We can't even fathom that number. Let me try to put some perspective. Our U.S. debt is extremely high, isn't it? Extremely high. You know how much it is? It's 20 trillion dollars. Okay, 20 trillion. So here's the math. If, if you could get a dollar per cell, you could just sell off a leg and pay off our entire national debt. You'd sell, 80% of you would still be left. Now, you don't have 20 trillion cells. You have 100 trillion cells in your body. And every single cell has this double helix molecule of DNA. Of all 100 trillion, every single cell has this, this double helix molecule of DNA. And it's very tightly coiled. And if you actually unravel the coil on it, it actually stretches out six feet. So every one of the 100 trillion cells has that, and it would stretch out six feet. And then this is phenomenal, and many of you know this, but, but written onto this six feet of, of DNA now, there's, there's a four chemical alphabet that is packed, packed with, with communication in it. It's a four chemical alpha, alphabet. To give you a comparison, we have an English language alphabet, and it has 26 characters in it. We use those 26 characters. We arrange the characters certain ways, and we com communicate messages, right? Uh, computer world, there's this binary code, and there are two uh, symbols we use, a zero and a one, but you put them in certain orders, and you get messages out of that, right? 
So in the DNA, there, there are these four chemicals that, that make an alphabet, and depending on how those four chemicals are arranged, uh, you actually, you can, we're beginning to understand what some of those say. And we can write out in English, like, the, the messages that are given through the alphabet, the four-chemical-letter alphabet. And this is phenomenal how much information is there in every single one of your 100 trillion cells. If, when we transpose that, if we could transpose all of it, we can't yet, all of it to English, it would fill 30 volumes of some ancient document called the Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? Now, I'm, let me explain to you what that ancient document was. This is before the internet age that uh, the, the bulk of the important knowledge of the world was accumulated in these books called Encyclopedia Britannicas. And, and each, of the, each volume of these were probably bigger than any book you've ever held in your life. They were about this thick, and they were longer and wider than most, and the, the print was pretty fine. And, and so it was this massive, massive set of books and the information on every single DNA and every single one of your 100 trillion cells, it would take 30 volumes of those books to write out the information that's there. And, and God the Father and God the Son coded that for you. And, and that code has told your body how to develop, and it's determined your appearance and your abilities to measure and your personality preferences. And, and God the Father and God the Son coded all that in. And made that exactly the way he wanted to make that for you, for you to be exactly who you are. There are 7 billion other people on the planet besides you. None of them are like you. None of them. There's an estimate that over human history, there have been 100 billion people. And of the 100 billion people, none of them have ever been like you. None ever will be. I mean, no replicas, no copies at all. Not a single one. Not a single one at all. And, and this is, I want to convey the heartbeat of Jesus uh, at the time he was knitting you together and, and uh, writing your DNA code in. And you can look at Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and it, it gives this beautiful picture of how he felt about you long before he actually created you. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So it's saying, even before he made the world, which is a, so a long, long time ago. Hey, there's some that say creation began a few thousand years ago. Some say 13 to 14 billion years ago. Either way, a long, long time ago, before he made anything at all, it says he loved you. I hadn't even made you yet. Was he going to make you for thousands or billions, perhaps years? He loved you. He knew, he knew how he would make you. He loved you. And then it talks about him choosing us in Christ and adopting us. And I don't have time to flesh this out now, but, but hear me in this. He's not saying that he predetermined, predestined you to either trust him or not trust him. But... But he did predetermine that, that he, he wanted you to trust him. He died on the cross for you. And, and, but he wouldn't take away your free choice of whether or not you choose to trust him or not. He would leave that to you. But his longing would be that, that you would trust him and have sins forgiven, be adopted into his family, like sins washed away. All of that would happen was his plan. And I can't walk into the scripture of why I say 
he still leaves you free will. But if you look back to a message, if you, if you want to know more about it, jot down January 4th, 2015. January 4th, 2015. First message of 2015, I spend time unpacking that biblically, if, if that's something you want more of. Okay, so, so he, he loved you before anything else was made, and his, his dream, his plan was you would come to him through Jesus and, and be adopted into his very family. And then um, about a chapter down in Ephesians 2.10, uh, he says, For we are God's masterpiece who created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He's saying if you have trusted your life to Christ, then sin's washed away. You're his masterpiece. If you haven't trusted Christ, if the day comes, whether it's today or someday, then you will become his masterpiece. It's saying you're the artist's ultimate and best work. Let that soak in for a minute. All of creation, the entire span of the universe, the entire span of life on this planet and, and he's saying, you, make it personal, you, you're his masterpiece. You're his best and finest work. And there's this crucial understanding to any objective observer of the universe, we would be of absolutely no significance at all, none. Imagine just a, an observer of this universe and someone should draw attention to you and so the observer observes you, and the observer understands what happens in human history, and the observer realizes that maybe you're making some difference in your one little pocket of the world right now, but the observer understands 100 years from now, probably no one will be able to identify any difference you made. Uh, just an observer just looking in, watching the physical side of this would. A, th- a thousand years from now, he would look at the planet and say, the planet's the same. Odds are, uh, and the observer would say, well, this person never changed that one tiny solar system, certainly never changed the Milky Way galaxy, and it's only one of 100 billion galaxies. What, what difference does a person make? What difference does one make? But the writer in the psalm, Psalm 8, 3 through 5, would understand all that. He would say, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, in other words, the magnitude of creation, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He said, I'm, I'm pulling back. I'm just, I'm just this objective observer. And if I just look at this planet, then we are nothing. But then he goes on and he says, but yet you've made him, mankind, humankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What he's saying is that... Um, of our own, of, of generating our own merit, we, we really have none in this universe. But we have value, we have great value, simply because God has deemed it so. The one who's made everything and puts the price tag on everything, like the value on everything, has put the highest price tag on you and me. And we know that because like the highest price that could be paid was the life of the Son, the life of Christ. And he put that high, the highest of price tags on you and on me. Of, of our own, you look at us in terms of the universe and, and we are of complete insignificance. But God has said, no, 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 no. That woman, that man, 
uh, of, of the highest value and significance of all of creation, of all of creation. I found myself pondering and, and looking at the bright and risen sun uh, these many weeks now, and I've pondered his creativity, and not only the brilliance of it and the wonder of it and everything, but I've pondered how he would create me and you and would assign such value to us, and, and I am blown away. I am blown away by it. And, and it deserves a response, and can I give you three things that I think are the deserving response? One is this. One is just trust. One is absolute trust and abandon to him. First Peter 4, 19 says, Trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. He's given you the highest value of all creation. Um, he made you. He uniquely made you, exactly like he wants to. And doesn't it make sense to trust him with total abandon? Oh, nothing back, nothing back, nothing back. So when he says, hey, I, let me show you the path I want you to go, and we think, oh, that looks hard. Oh, that might be costly to remember who it is that's showing you that path. Wouldn't it make sense to say, because you say so? You made me? You gave me the highest value? You died for me? Trust, just complete trust. Second response that makes sense is worship. Is, in fact, I can hardly keep from worshiping when I let my mind and heart soak on this. Is just worship of him. And, and here's a thought for you. If you... Um, whether you normally do this or not, but tomorrow when you get up, if you allow yourself an extra five minutes, if you would turn to Psalm 148, Psalm 148, there's this beautiful, stunning psalm. It's only 14 verses long, but it, it takes this little journey through creation. And, and the psalmist is, is inviting all, all of creation to, to praise God for, for the, you know, the one who created everything. And, and it kind of, it spans the whole thing. And so, um, I would encourage you tomorrow, give yourself five extra minutes and, and open up this psalm and ponder about this creator who has made you and loves you so and worship him. And then finally, the third response is this. I would say, I would simply say, love the artist and love his works. If you love the artist, then love his works as well. My wife, Marie, um, is very, very creative and she's probably used, I bet, 15 to 20 different art forms and in the time we've been married and she'll see new art forms and she'll adapt them and do them. She has beautiful, beautiful work and she would deny that and certainly there'll be no critics writing about her, her works of art but, but I love her, I love the artist and I love her works of art and these last few years I've said I want our house filled with everything you've done, I, nothing else and, and I say to her, I know I'm biased but, but you made this. You made it. It has great value. I want to see it all the time. Every place I turn, I want to see your works of art. And, and I've, I've pondered how if, if we love the artist, if we love the, the creator, then he would be saying to us, then, then won't you love my works of art? Won't you love the masterpieces around you? And I was looking at some research that was provided for me this week very graciously about how uh, paintings that are considered masterpieces are, are cared for and treated. They, they are... Uh, kept in very specific temperature range, very close temperature range. They're kept in very specific lighting. They're kept in a very tight range of humidity to protect it for the long haul. Uh, I didn't realize this, but most paintings, they need to be brushed or dusted from time to time. And there are very specific ways that you were to do this. You're always to wear cotton gloves. Never let your, your skin touch the painting itself. You're actually to hold 
the, the frame of the canvas on both sides. Never hold it from the top. I would have blown that one every time. Hold it on both sides. I'm not sure why I didn't dig any deeper than that, but that's the way you have to hold it. And then when you do this dusting of it, you, you prop the painting at a specific angle. You use a very specific kind of brush, and there's certain exact brush strokes that you make to preserve this painting. There's this, there's this huge effort made just for these, these canvases that have paint on them. And so we're surrounded by these masterpieces of the ultimate artist. And wouldn't he say, love me, love my works of art? And I'll give you two things. This one's been helping me a lot for some time, for quite a while. If you look at my journal Almost every morning, one of the prayers simply says, help me see each person as you see them. Help me see each person as you see them. And I know to the degree that that happens will be the degree to which I, I love that person and care for that expression of masterpiece that God's created. I'll give you one other thing. In Ephesians four and five. We'll do some teaching on these chapters in several weeks from now. But these two chapters begin with these words, and then there are a lot of specifics that unfold. But, but let me give you these words that might be helpful for you and me about, about um, loving the artist's uh, finest works. In verses two through six, it says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living in all. Love the artist. Love his finest works. I think that's what he would say. Behold the bright and risen sun. More beauty than this world has ever known. Father in heaven, help us be stirred and moved into decisions and actions by the wonder of your creativity and the wonder of the creativity that your son Jesus has and the wonder of the creation that he actually implemented, he actually put into play, he actually did with you behind him on all this. May we, may we see him uh, in a more fully orbed way and appreciate the, the stunning beauty about him. And may we see ourselves differently, knowing, knowing uh, that you have assigned such value to us. Some of us in this room are having a hard time getting our minds around that because we, we just, we have a hard time believing that and yet it's true. So help us believe it. And, and some of us in this room have the opposite problem. We believe it because we think we're so good on our own. And help us realize that we're not. We're really, we're really, in the big picture, nothing on our own. But, but we're something of great value because you say so. And you paid such a price. So help us in realizing that. And help us to, um, to trust with abandon. Help us to worship deeply. And help us to love those you've made. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.